Well, hello, Westwood family. My name is Ben, Ben Griffin, and honored to be here with you today, continuing the series in the book of Colossians. And so Pastor Joel last week took us through a section that had the key verse, not just for the book, but also for this year. And so I want to just start right there by pulling that up so we can take a look at it. And as we've been doing every week, let's say it together. And I know as many of you are memorizing it, and let's do that. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And, and as we unpack, I'm going to start at this verse and then pull into what follows in Colossians. In this verse, in Greek, the word all is actually the very first word in the Greek sentence. And the reason for that in, in, in Greek is to emphasize that all is the subject. Do everything, underline in the name of the Lord Jesus. And I would say this, is, this means having our life ordered with Jesus first. And today is we're going to be talking about relationships because this is what it drives us into in the next section of Colossians. I want to talk about having a well-ordered relationships. In fact, that's the title of today's message. I come alive when my relationships are in order. And man, I think we all have experienced what it's like to have our loves out of order. Anybody in here, uh, just out of curiosity, a Star Trek fan? Go ahead, raise your hand, all campuses. You, you, we, be proud, yep, somebody's clapping, that's great. Yeah, some of you are like, I don't want to admit it publicly, but yes, all right. So it, it's okay to like Star Trek. I like Star Trek. My wife, it, it makes her physically ill when Star Trek is on. So, so out of love for her, I don't put it on when she's in the room or I'll, I'll turn it off. But if you have a shrine to Star Trek in your home and it holds a higher value in your heart than your spouse, that's an out-of-order love. Amen to that? Uh, I, I met somebody once that had three physical photo albums dedicated to her cat. And we sat down and she showed us the life of her cat. And some of you, some of you I know are thinking, I should do that. <laughs> I know you're out there. But I'll say this, if you love your cat more than you love the creator of cats, God Almighty, that is an out-of-order love. So what is ordered love, especially as we come in today, we're going to talk about relationships. Uh, I like to think about it this way, using the word joy, J-O-Y, Jesus, others, and then yourself. What is the order of love? It starts with reverence for Jesus, then loving others, then loving yourself. That is ordered love. And we're going to unpack that a little bit. And so to that point, uh, we're going to be in the book of Colossians, and I'm just going to read our section today, and then we'll walk through it. Colossians 3, 17 through 21. And I'll say this again, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Verse 18, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. And fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. So today, through the lens of those family relationships, we're going to talk about ordered love. And, and if you're here today going, well, none of those topics really hit you at the heart. Uh, let me just ask it this way. Do you in your life have relationships that feel like they're out of order or you feel like you're struggling with them or how to balance or work with such and such person. If you have relationships that are challenging, this message is for you. 
all right? And uh, if you're wanting that spouse relationship and you don't have it, this message is for you as we talk about this and dive into it. So with that, today, uh, I invited an expert in dealing and living in a difficult relationship situation. It is my wife, Kate. Come on up. Okay, thank you so much for being here. We, we this week actually celebrated 24 years of marriage, which is pretty awesome. Yeah. 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 yeah, we spent part of the day working on this message of all things. So very exciting, yes. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. my wife is very kind to be here. Yeah. And so, so Kate, we, I, I talked a, a, a few messages ago when I was here, I talked about our first meeting and how we had like this fairy tale moment and, and where we, met and we both remember it and you're like it felt like I was home and we it really was a sweet moment of connection so much so that I asked her out on a date and uh, and and we went on that date and then you didn't talk to me for two weeks and started dating this horrible guy I mean just, <laughs> I'm just gonna say this is it just wasn't a good thing and I, I remember thinking then so I'll just ask you now what's up with that <laughs> No, I put him in the friend zone really fast. <laughs> I didn't want to date my best friend, so. Yeah, yeah. For any of you who are hearing that right now, there's hope. <laughs> and I was in the friend zone. And frankly, it was one of the best things for us because we developed a really strong friendship mm -hmm. over those years and a foundation. And the truth be told, I had a lot of growing up to do uh, before I was really ready to be in that relationship yes. with you. Yes, yes, he did. I literally said... <laughs> I literally said, I pity the woman who marries Ben Griffin. It's true. <laughs> and here I am. <laughs> it's true. For some reason, our kids like that quote. I don't know. It's, it's a funny one. But in that time between that first meeting and then three years later when we started to become more official, I guess you'd say, um, you actually had another relationship that, that turned into an engagement. And so for those of us who are single in the room or are just thinking about relationships, or you have somebody in your life that you're looking at, like, is this relationship in the right order? Is this the right thing? I just wonder if you would share that experience yeah. with us. Yes, yeah. yes. Um, yeah, for those of you who are looking for, for a spouse or for those of you who are single and not looking for a spouse, I think these two principles apply. Um, number one, that your closest companions would be <clears throat> somebody who loves Jesus. And number two, that you would have an open-hand mentality with all of your relationships and, and everything that the Lord gives you, willing to submit to the Lord and not your own way. And um, yeah, I had number one, I had a, a man who loved the Lord. We had rich, deep spiritual conversations. He was going to the seminary. It was great. Um, but number two, I had my hand gripped around that relationship. Um, I wanted control. I loved that I knew what my future held. Um, and I didn't necessarily want to open my hand and release any of that to the Lord. Um, one day, we, this other man and I were sitting around, and <clears throat> the Lord impressed on my heart that image of the tightly closed fist just out of nowhere. And he said very sweetly and kindly and gently to, to me, the Lord said this to me, open your hand. And so at that moment, I, I didn't know what that meant, but I did just open my hand and submit whatever it was to him. And the next words out of the, the man that I was engaged to's mouth were, I think we should date other people. And I was like, what? I was shocked, devastated. Um, and in fact, uh, a week later, he came back to me saying, I don't know what came over me, 
we need to get back together. Um, and as hard as it was, I knew that in opening my hand, the Lord was saying, no. Mm -mm. So um, I am so thankful that I listened to that prompting and opened my hand to the I'm Lord. I'm more thankful, by the way, <laughs> yeah, for the record. Uh, because the Lord was going to fill my hand little, I, I had no idea that he was going to fill my hand with somebody so much um, greater than I could have imagined. A man who I always say to my kids, to my boys, I want my boys to grow up to be a man like him, and I want my daughter to marry a man like him. I'm so blessed, so blessed. So that open hand mentality with all of our relationships to submit to the Lord first. Yeah, and let's just be clear. I got the better end of this deal. <laughs> yeah, by far, by far. So kind of switching into, because we want to get uh, moving towards the text, this talks about relationships. And we have three children. Mm -hmm. All three are in college. So we're in that empty nest phase of life. And there was a time when we had three kids, three and under, unbelievably exhausting. Yeah, it was yeah. hard. <laughs> yeah, there's photos from those days where it's just like us on the couch just looking completely disheveled yes. and kids climbing everywhere. Like, some of you can probably relate. Yep. Yeah, there were times when everybody was crying all at the same time, including myself. So <laughs> it was very difficult. Um, but by God's grace, yeah, all three of those kids in college um, love the Lord. They're following the Lord. Um, we thank God every day, and we know that it's just a grace of God that we're here. Um, and we just want to acknowledge that there are, um, this is a hard time to raise kids, first of all, to, to walk in the faith. And we know that there are a lot of people here that might have kids who have walked away or even marriages that are hard. Um, so <clears throat> we don't want to say we've got it all together. Um, we want to acknowledge and make space for those of you that are thinking about one of those hard relationships right now. Um, and we just want to take a moment to think about that. And let's go to God and pray about that. So if, if you're the person in a hard relationship, if you are the one who has a child who's walked away, or if you are the one who, who has a child who maybe is in a hard relationship, um, can we just take a moment and pray for those people in the room right now? Uh, Lord, you are the God who sees. Mm -hmm. You see each one of those difficult relationships. You are in it. You know it intimately. You know the hurt. You know the pain. You know the struggle. And so, Father, we just pray right now for those people in this room that are experiencing that or people that we know who are experiencing that. Lord, would you just open our hands to what you have to say to us, yes. how you want to change our hearts, and how you want to sweetly and gently minister to us now. Yeah. All this we ask in your name, Jesus. Amen. 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 And that, that, that amen is not the end of the message. It's the beginning of the next <laughs> section, uh, which is where we're going to dive into the passage. And so let's pull up Colossians 3 and, and walk through this a little bit more in depth. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. And, and we just got to say right up front, this scripture is a triggering one, isn't it? Right, especially in today's cultural reality. Just, just that word submit there could overshadow the whole message if we're not careful and miss some beautiful teaching about relationship that, that Paul is laying out here. So, so just to be clear, that word submit is countercultural to today's world, but it's also countercultural into the world that it was written 
At the time that Paul wrote this, women did not have rights like they were today. They didn't get to choose who they were married to. They were told to marry someone. When they were in that relationship, their only rights came through their husband and they were told to obey and serve and often thought of as little more than possessions. And in fact, this is such a big deal in this cultural time that you'll see all over in the New Testament where it talks about how important it is to care for widows. Why? Because wives who have lost their husband were extremely vulnerable in that cultural environment. So when Paul says, submit yourselves to your husband, the word submit, as we unpack it in the Greek there, it is not obey no matter what. What the word says, it's a, it's a middle voice in the Greek, which is, which is saying it is a voluntary serving, a purposeful, chosen, I am going to serve you. And look what it says to the husbands who in that culture treated women very poorly. Wives, do not be harsh with them and love them. They're not your property, love them. God's design for marriage is, is something beautiful. It's this two becoming one. And this was a disordered culture at the time in those relationships is what Paul is saying is to bring it back into an ordered relationship with him. And so with that, as we think about that, um, today in our culture, it's also countercultural because when we hear the word submit, we hear, we hear one person wins, one person loses. We hear dominant over another. We hear, we, we hear all of those types of things, winners and losers. And, and that's not what he's getting at either. In fact, uh, here, here's maybe a, a way to think about it. We look at it as one person versus another in our culture, so individualistic. And, and, that, and what Paul is saying is, no, marriage is one unit working together and this beautiful beautiful tapestry. So when we hear the word submit, we often think of, here's an analogy of like an arm wrestle. One person wins, one person loses. So since I've got my partner up here, uh, we're going to arm wrestle. Yeah. Yeah. So we think of it like an arm wrestle, like you submit, I win. Oh yeah. You're really arm wrestling. All right. Yeah. yeah. I will win. Yeah. Kate does not like to lose. No. So yeah. Yeah. And apparently we'll cheat to do so. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. That's how we often think. And some of us are like, listen, you just described my relationships. I always feel like I'm in an arm wrestle. It's always win and lose. And I'm telling you, that is actually a disordered place. That's not an ordered place. We all have that in our relationships at times, but that should not be the place that we reside. So I think a better way to think about it, a better analogy is more like a dance. Uh, like in a dance, you've got two partners with with different but complementary roles in the dance, listening to music. And it just so happens that Kate and I are dancers. So yes, that, uh, that I actually, really. it's the re one of the reasons we're together <laughs> is because I signed us up early on in our dating relationship to, for swing dance classes. And she was like, I'm about to drop this guy, but I got six week commitment. I got to see through first. I was stuck. Yeah. Yeah. So we got swing dance lessons. So here's one of the, one of the moves that we learned. Yeah. In the swing dance. Yep. Yeah, we'll try not to take out any of the equipment up here. <laughs> yep, yep. And you can, do, 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 yeah, you know, kind of hear that swing music. There it is. Yep, yep. Hey, there it is. <laughs> but here, here's the thing with dancing that we've learned. And we haven't really danced in like a long, yeah, okay, since our kids, since kids, we haven't really danced. 
But I'll say this, there is nothing more fun than when you're dancing and you're, you're complimenting each other and you know where you're going and you're working together. It is so fun. And there's nothing more frustrating than when you're pushing against each other and pulling and not in sync. Literally one time I, we were doing one of those flips and I flipped her right into a garbage can. Truth. <laughs> not in sync. Not a good day for me. Yes. Or you especially. Right, yes. Exactly. Let's be, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I used to say I would follow Ben as long as he goes where I want him to go. <laughs> I was joking, but, but sort of not. Um, yeah, it is frustrating when that dance, when I'm trying to lead and he's trying to lead at the same time, nobody is having fun. Um, but in Colossians, we get three verses on how this looks. Um, in Ephesians, we get the same concepts of wives and husbands and families, uh, but it's stretched out and gives a lot more detail. And so I just want to read um, Ephesians 5, verse 21, because I think this is so beautiful, especially as a woman. Um, it starts out and it says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is not just talking to the woman. <laughs> it's talking to all people that we are submitting and respecting and loving one another, that we're seeing each other's needs, not just um, our own needs, and that we, there's a give and a take in this beautiful dance that's actually happening in the, in the submission. Um, and then it goes on to say that um, in Ephesians 5, verse 33, it says, however, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must love her husband. Um, and I just love this because what it does is it elevates both men and women as co-heirs in Christ, Christ has made us equal. It's not one better than the other, but there is this beautiful... Um, um, relationship between the roles that happens. And when we fit in that, um, it, it is like a beautiful dance. Mm -hmm. And so um, <clears throat> what I notice with Ben is that when he is loving me and showing me my value and worth, it causes me to in turn respect him. And then there's just this beautiful dance that happens between us. Yeah, and that's what Ephesians 5 talks about. In fact, let's, let's dive a little deeper into that. So Ephesians 5, verse 21 and then 33, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Remember the ordered love. It starts with Jesus, our reverence to him, and then how we treat others. And then each one of us was, must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Now let's be clear. Every wife wants to be loved and respected. Every man wants to be loved, respected and loved. But there is something about the way this passage talks about this. And I, I just want to point this out too, that this word respect is actually a connection to this word reverence up here. That, that, that the ability to do that respect first starts from that reverence for Jesus, reverence for God, and then pours out of that and then how we show that to each other. So, there's a great book called Love and Respect. And in that book, it breaks us down and it uses some imagery I wanna share with you. And some of you are familiar with this, but, but I'll bring it up here. It says, when he, is his, when he feels loved, he's motivated to, sh his love motivates her respect. When she is respecting him, it motivates his love. So her respect motivates his love. It's a cycle that we end up kind of responding in kind to how we're treated. And, and this, is, this is the energizing cycle. And it is energizing. Like, I'll, I'll say this. Kate is very good at encouraging me 
even when I do not deserve it. Like we literally had a fight once and she was like, you're just so good at sticking to your opinion. <laughs> it's finding the little things, right? <laughs> no, but, but truthfully, early on in our marriage, um, I would get together with my girlfriends and we would go out for coffee. <clears throat> and the theme of our coffee time was usually talking about our husbands. Mm. And typically, if wives, if you know if you've been in this place before, it was not always nice. It was usually venting about our husbands. And um, during those early days, I had to make a conscious choice to that I would not be speaking poorly about my husband, but that I would be speaking with respect and honor. And that was not always easy. <laughs> it was not always easy. But, but to make that choice showed him that I respect him. Yeah, she's not kidding. And when we first got married, we sat down and she's like, I made a list of the chores. And I was like, chores? I, I'm supposed to do chores? Like, she was like, what did I just get into? <laughs> like, we had some growing to do. I had some growing to do. And, I, and I'm thankful for that and the way that you showed respect and then love. And, and I'll say this, that his, his love motivates her respect. Um, I don't drink coffee at all. But I'll tell you this, I am an expert at making drip coffee. Like I know where to get the beans, how to grind them to just the right, right, uh, right size, how to, how to get the tea kettle. I know the sound of the tea kettle when it's at the exact right temperature to be poured over the drip coffee to make the coffee. Because I love my wife, I love making coffee for her and I have studied that in depth. Yeah, yes, yeah. His, his respect <clears throat> or his love motivates my respect. Mm. Um, and I love, sometimes I'll wake up to a cup of coffee after a day that we've had a really bad fight. <laughs> and that We once he, had a fight about coffee. We probably, yeah, I think we did. <laughs> <laughs> but him showing up in just these subtle little ways saying, I see you, I notice you, I love you. And um, it's not like he's saying it outright. I just notice him doing these tiny little things that, that tell me that I'm of great value and worth to him, even when I'm being pretty awful. You're never awful. <laughs> and, and maybe you're hearing this and you're like, oh, that's great, that's sweet. And like, uh, our, our relationship is not that. <laughs> Like we're always arm wrestling. We're not experiencing that. So, so just hear this. Even in that book, Love and Respect, it says that the best relationships experience that energizing cycle 80% of the time. Meaning 20% of the time, they're in that arm wrestle, disordered, things are, things are not there. But wherever you are, we, we want to help take steps towards that energizing cycle. So, so let's look at the crazy cycle. This is how the crazy cycle works. Without feeling loved, she reacts without showing respect. Without feeling respect, he reacts without showing love. I mean, this is that, that arm wrestle where we just, it, it gets worse and worse and harder and harder and we're pushing and pulling against each other. And like, how do we break that? The answer has to be not treating each other the way the other person is treating you, but this is where ordered love is so important, treating the other person the way Jesus treats you. Even though you're not loving me, I'm loved by Jesus and I'm gonna show respect to you. Even though uh, I, you're not respecting me, uh, out of respect to Jesus, I'm showing love to you. And breaking the cycle. Like, so, so not complaining about your husband, but finding that one little thing about, man, how strong-willed he is in an argument. And, and, and then using that is, a, is an opportunity for growth. Yep, or like making coffee for your wife, even though <laughs> she's not been great to you. Um, but, but that is the key, is somebody 
has to get off of the crazy cycle. Mm -hmm. um, somebody has to make that choice. And in our experience, when we experience that, for me personally, um, I need to get away from the situation and just get along with the Lord. And it's at these times of getting along with the Lord where I can, I can, I could say, God, will you change him? Make him see, right? It's that arm wrestle. Um, but instead, it's, God, will you show me? Show me what I have going on. Reveal my heart to me. Open my hand to what you want to teach me. And so it's not changing that person. It's changing me. And I, I really think this is the greatest miracle we can experience in life, not the healing of the sick or, you know, opening eyes of the blind, but it's actual changing of our own heart, where there's um, pride, where God puts humility. Where there's um, hurt, God will put compassion. And I can't do that on my own. I cannot do that without the Lord. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. And isn't this the gospel? Like, while we were yet sinning, at our worst, Jesus laid down his life for us. So we respond to each other to break the cycle in a well-ordered love and by loving each other the way Jesus loves us. So we could talk about this all day, and we're just scratching the surface of this, but I want to continue on in the text and dive into the next kind of uh, lens of relationships, and this is children and parents. So it says this, children, obey your parents in everything. Does anybody have your kids with them? Just look at them. Say, everything. <laughs> For this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. So, so as we look at this passage, I, I think this is a really interesting, uh, let me ask you this question. What is the goal of parenting? What is the goal? My guess is most of us will answer that somewhere in the realm of obedience, behavior. Like uh, the goal is Kids who grow up to be good people, uh, uh, that respect others, that are contributors to society, somewhere in there. But, but notice the fathers do not embitter your children. What's that about? That's not about behavior. That's about the heart. I think the real goal of parenting is not behavior. It's capturing their heart. And listen, you can have children who obey and do all those things, become good people, but not have their heart. But I'll tell you this, if you have their heart, if God has their heart, like the behavior is going to flow out of that, is going gonna, is gonna to follow out of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And is this point where I hand it off to you? Because mm -hmm. I, yeah, okay, yep. take it away. <laughs> yep. Yes. Um, <clears throat> yeah. The way I think about it is, um, you know, God creates that spark of faith. We can't do that. But what he does, does give us the job to do is to put, the, put the, our kids in the best environment. And so I think about that in terms of like a fire. We are the ones who put the logs um, around the fire. God is the one who makes it spark, mm -hmm. right? So I think about some of those logs and just the everyday practical things that we can do as parents. And we did not get it perfect or everything right for, by any means. But um, there are just a few logs that we were intentional about putting around our kids, like other godly adults, um, making sure we were intentionally in the word together. And this did not look pretty. Sometimes our kids were doing somersaults around the room while we were in the word, but intentionally getting into the word together. Um, living out your faith right in front of them. Um, that's probably the best way. And actually the best way I have found is that <clears throat> it's in, in the mistakes that your kids make. Mm. So as parents, I, I know, especially for me, I was constantly trying to steer them toward what was right and what was good, behavior. Um, steer them away from trouble. 
Um, however, it was in those times that our kids got into the biggest trouble that we were able to draw near to them. Uh, they cried real tears, so did we. There were real tears of sorrow, real conversations, real um, grace that was shown. It was in those moments that defined our relationship and how we showed up for them. Yeah, and mistakes were, for many times for us, opportunities. So I can remember sitting down with one of our kids after a, a couple of our kids, actually, a couple of instances come to mind, after some major mistakes and tears and talking, opportunity to show the grace of Jesus to them, uh, to listen to them, to, to work through that with them. But I'll also say this, I can think of multiple times where I sat down with our kids and it was my mistake that I was apologizing for and saying, hey, I'm really sorry and asking them for grace. And in those moments, those mistakes on both sides were opportunities for growth, for capturing the heart, for growing together. So, so with that, we shared a framework for ordered love in a married relationship. Uh, I also wanna share a framework for kind of ordered relationships in our home. And, and it goes like this, it's the nurture structure framework. So this line is nurture. So this is high, high nurture, low nurture. Nurture is care and compassion. Structure is this line, high structure over there, low over here. And structure is, is uh, the boundaries that we put, the rules that we have, the household, how we set up our households and how we, how we make that work. And so a low structure, low nurture environment is a ne neglectful environment. And I just wanna be right up front here. Every one of us uh, as parents, uh, we're gonna be in all of these quadrants at different times. And, and I think one of them is really a healthy one, but we have to understand we all drift into these places. So I can remember in the neglectful quadrant, I can remember when uh, I had come home on a Sunday, I was just wanted to watch football. I was tired. I had preached that morning and my kids literally came up to me and they said, dad, you are neglecting us <laughs> for football. <laughs> And so had, had a moment of conviction from them. So we've, we've probably all been in, in that, but I'll tell you what, if a child grows up in that environment, if that's the primary environment of a household, just imagine, um, and maybe some of you are like, I'm not imagining this was the household I was in, uh, how, how unsafe or uh, disregarded one can feel in that place. Here's the next one I wanna talk about, which is high nurture and low structure. This is permissive. This is, hey, I wanna be your best friend, parent. This is, we don't have rules. You can do whatever you, do whatever you want. And, and, and it's all nurture, no structure. And, and in this environment, man, uh, this is a place where kids also feel unsafe. And you think that you're capturing their heart, but often this is where you get very disrespectful kind of behavior that starts to show up in, in the way that, that a child goes. Um, especially in a home environment. Then down here, we have high structure, low nurture. This is authoritarian. This is where we go when we say things like, because I said so, right? I, I don't care, no more arguments. I'm your parent. I told you, that's it. That's authoritarian. And to live in that stage, authoritarian, I, I'm gonna tell you, if you have high structure and low nurture, your kids are probably gonna end up in one of two places, really, really well behaved or really, really poorly behaved, but most likely, both in both cases, their hearts will be a million miles away from you. Authoritarian. And again, we drift into all of these, but I think the place that we want to be, the well-ordered place, the place that reflects the way God interacts with us, is up here, high nurture and high structure, the authoritative spot. And this is where it's because I trust you and you trust me, is what you, you know, a parent would be saying. And a child in this place feels empowered, feels empowered. And so uh, to this point, 
uh, we want to talk about some of the things that happen in an authoritative home environment. So, uh, for example, one of them is natural consequences. So a teenager wakes up late on, on a school day, like we are not calling the school or saying you don't have to go in. You're going to be late. You're going to get a tardy. You're not going to get your shower and you probably won't have lunch. That's a natural consequence. This, by the way, is a reflection of, of what we see in the scripture. David was unable, God did not allow him to build the temple as a natural consequence for some of his actions. God still forgave him, loved him. Eternity is not in question, but there were natural consequences to his behaviors. Yeah, yeah. Another one was wise appeals. <clears throat> so when our kids would uh, come to us with a request and we would say no, um, instead of getting that back and forth argument or giving into it, um, we would have them make a wise appeal. So this is that, that high structure, high nurture, um, building that trust relationship. Make a wise appeal. Come up with a smart reason for what you um, think that you need. And then we still reserve the right to say no, but at least there's a layer of wisdom um, that they've thought through when they come back to us again. Yeah, we had one kid who would write his wise appeals on a piece of paper and he'd leave it on our pillow. So we'd be going to bed and we're like, oh, we got one. Yeah, let's, let's read this one tonight. Yeah. I saved all of those. They're yeah. like awesome. Yeah, they really are. <laughs> they are really sweet. Yeah, um, another one is rites of passage. My, my brother actually wrote a book called uh, Family Discipleship. It talks about milestones and rites of passage. And one of them that we did with our kids is at the age of 18, we sat down with them, we took them out to a special dinner, we spoke words into them, gave them a special gift. And to our boys, we said, you're a man. And to our girls, girl, we said, you are a woman. And it was just, it's just been a really special moment. Yeah, uh, and it was really had. sweet to see yeah. them step up into mm -hmm. what we said about them. So those words that we say about our kids, they really matter. Yeah, they yeah. do. Yeah. Another one is unhurried time. Mm. So um, unscheduled, unhurried time that says, you are worth my time and energy. So we really had to, to work on this. We limited activities. We made sure that you only had a couple nights um, um, of meetings a, meetings a night. Yep. A week. And as a pastor, that was really difficult. But um, it was saying, I see you. You're important. I notice you and I'm making time for you. And isn't that what Jesus did with the children? He said, come to me. You are important. You are worth my time. Yeah, it was okay to say to people, I don't have time. I have an appointment. And that appointment was just time with my family. Mm -hmm. That was okay to do. Yeah, and, uh, and then another one, and this is a really sweet one. I just want to say this is really practical that I think any of us can do. If there's a young person in your life that you care about, this is something you can do for them. When our kids were little, we got these Bibles that had these big areas for notes in them, and we gave each, presented each one of them their Bible as a Christmas present, and then we wrote in the margins of those Bibles over the years. And it was like, hey, underlining passages, and I'm praying this over you, and hey, this is what happened today, and hey, you left a note on my pillow today, and you know how we reacted to that in the moment. And just basically, their whole life, we just did that, and then at the age of 18, that rite of passage, we gifted that to them. And it was a really sweet, it was, it's so cool to see now. We go see them in college and that Bible is in a treasured place in their houses. They talk about it. I mean, it's just, it's- They use it. They, yeah. they write notes in it now. Yeah, it's yeah, so it's sweet. really sweet. Um, yeah, and then just the last one is um, that we want our kids to know that we are with them and we are for them, no matter what. Yeah. So no matter the mistakes that are made, no matter where they're at in life, we are with you and we are for you. 
We love you and so does God. And I just think about that verse where it says that nothing can separate us from the love of God, um, that our kids would always know that nothing is going to um, separate them from our love or God's love. That's right. And we've thrown a lot at you. It's like a fire hose today in a very short amount of time. But let me me just say authoritative quadrant can be summed up like this. Things parents need to say more often. Yes, because I trust you. No, because I love you. High nurture, high structure. Yes, because I trust you. No, because I love you. And and let's be honest. Husbands need to hear that more often too. (laughs) Yep. Yes, because I trust you. No, because I love you. So, so Kate, can you just, can you just drive us home? Yeah. Um, after thinking about all of these things, you think, well, what, why do we do this? Um, it's not for behavior modification. It's um, not to get the other person to do what you want them to do or to get your kids to behave. The truth is we might do all of these things and you might do these things and more and still have a spouse that um, is not showing you love or respect. Still have kids who walk away from the faith. Um, but we do these things <clears throat> out of the overflow of how God has treated us. Yep, well so ordered. no matter what, and this is hard, but no matter how the other person is treating us, we are able to respond with respect and kindness and treat that other person with dignity yeah. because that's how the Lord has treated us. Yeah, so, so as you're hearing this and we're drawing this message to a close, uh, maybe you're thinking somebody near me really needs to hear this message and that somebody might be you. It pro- so, so, so if in, let's just take a minute and think about the relationships in our lives that are out of order. We all have them. And think about our relationship with God, how he loves and respects and us. Now, how are we reflecting that? And I just want you to, to raise up, think about one relationship in your life that may be out of order or can get out of order. And, and what is God calling you to do to put into practice to help order that love uh, in a way that honors him? Put it into that nurture and structure place, that love and respect balance, that way that reflects him. And and then I just want to add this. This is really well-timed. There's a marriage course that is literally starting at both the Chanhassen and Bush Lake campuses this week, Tuesday. So this is an opportunity to uh, take an action step right now and just say, hey, I want to dive into this more on the marriage relationship. So with all that said, let's close in prayer. Lord God, I pray that you would be at work in our hearts and our lives. I pray, Lord, for those of us who are hearing this and it's hitting an especially deep nerve. uh, 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 How can I do that, Lord? You don't know the disrespect or the the unlove that is happening and how this cycle has gotten out of control. Lord, I I pray that that the beauty and the grace and the fullness of you would, would overwhelm, that we would know the love from you above all and through that, Lord, take steps in response to each other. And for all of us, Lord, may we more reflect who you are through the ordered loves of our lives. Jesus, you first, others, and then ourselves. Jesus, in your name I pray, amen.